We certainly want to say good morning, and I hope uh, you ladies are having a very happy Mother's Day. I see several out there, and uh, we sure appreciate you. We really do, and appreciate our own mothers. And we all have those, don't we? Or had them. And, uh, you know, when we look at... Uh, we think of this particular day, and it's celebrated all across the uh, United States. And uh, it's important, but I don't think the unbelieving world really knows what it means. Sinclair Ferguson had a pretty good comment on, on Mother's Day. By the way, our message is not on Mother's Day today. Uh, I ran out of those years ago, so we just stick with the text. But I still give something here to say, hey, we want to, uh, we want to honor you ladies. And, uh, anyway, this is what Sinclair Ferguson had to say. Although it goes largely unrecognized, the celebration of Mother's Day depends on a number of important biblical convictions. For one thing, it implies that motherhood is a high calling and worthy of special honor, far from the view that uh, it is a major obstacle to women's progress in what really matters in life. It's also a constant reminder to us that God made man, male and female, in His image, and that the complementary differences run deeply into the fabric of our being. In this day-to-day, that sure makes sense, doesn't it? Especially when you have a leader of the country saying that uh, homosexual marriages are just fine. It also stresses the privileges of rearing children because it anticipates and actually seems to assume their love, devotion, and expression of appreciation for their mothers. He goes on to say, Much of this we owe to the Christian gospel. It should not surprise us, therefore, that when a society has been transformed by the gospel, but then rejects it, respect and honor of mothers will begin to disappear. And the prospect of being a mother, rearing children for time and eternity, will be seen as a burden and an obstacle to personal satisfaction. Boy, that's our culture, isn't it? And we say, rise up, call our mothers blessed, all of them, even our spiritual mothers who some may not have had... uh, the mothers to be around at, at the time, possibly, or whatever, but we had somebody that helped raise us up, grandmothers, or aunts, whoever, but uh, they've been a spiritual mother and a guide to many. And so when we think of that, it's a high calling. It's the highest calling that uh, one can have as they get to raise and rear their children in the ways of the Lord. What an amazing thing to think about. What a ministry, isn't it? Anyway, we press on. We press on as we're in Philippians because that is where we've been at in Philippians 3. We're to press on. We left off last week with the attitude of that and forgetting what lies behind. All that stuff that is in our past life, it's, it's, we're done past it. It's gone. We have the prize before us. The prize is Jesus Christ. He's our prize. He's our goal. And with Him as our goal, we can then see how this life makes sense because we're pursuing Him. There's hurdles, there are obstacles in front of us, 
But as we look at what the real goal is and where we're really focusing on that song, Blessings, made sense there, didn't it? Because it's really putting everything on the person of Christ. And um, we can look at the examples of Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all of those who have gone before us, like in Hebrews 11, and they have been in that race, and they were in it. Their race is done. Their uh, spiritual lives are in heaven with, uh, with Jesus. And Paul, when he wrote this, was still here on earth. And he hadn't attained perfection yet, and he knew it. And if there was anybody that um, would have attained perfection, you would have thought, well, it would be Paul. But uh, nobody can in, uh, on this uh, world that we're in now, in these bodies. He was not perfect. And he's saying it's okay, because I'm going to continue to press on, to mature even more. That is... Something I mean, I will not achieve until glory, but at the same time, that is what I am to do and pursue. And so everybody can identify with Paul in, the, in that sense. And we are to be striving to stretch every spiritual muscle that we have, putting forth full effort to Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. But we keep pressing on. And that's what we do every day here in this life. We, we keep pressing on. It can be hard. It can be difficult. Sometimes it can be just smooth sailing. And that's fine too. That's great. But everything is done as we strive is done through the grace of God. We don't do it in our effort, do we? The Gospel is preached to us constantly. Even when we're striving to be like Christ, we have to remember it's all by the grace of God. Everything is by that. And so that's how we make progress. Pilgrims' progress. We're pilgrims, aren't we? Strangers, aliens. Pursuing Christ's likeness. Isn't that what it's all about? That is what we're all about. That is what everything is geared to. We can boil it down. There are all sorts of different things going on in our lives and in the world, but that is where it's at. Pursue Christ's likeness, as it says in Romans 8.29. Uh, according to our text today, we're going to look at uh, what we're going to outline as three necessary elements. Three key elements in pursuing Christ's likeness as we continue on in that thought, in that text as Paul wrote this. And first of all, he's saying, okay, pursue Christ by looking at me, Paul says. You, you look at me, imitate me, copy me, and other godly people. Secondly, don't imitate anybody else that who is not saved by the grace of God. People who are not believers or people who even appear to be believers but are really enemies of the cross. Don't follow what they have. Don't follow the world. And then the third one is our ultimate motive, which is where we are headed. Where we are going. So when you follow one... There is a destination, and that destination is going to be accomplished. And as you follow those other people to pursue Christ, you know you'll get there. Where we're going as we run this race. That's important, isn't it? Okay, uh, why don't we all stand? And uh, let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 17. And let's read what Paul has to say in this Holy Bible. Brethren, 
join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And thank You for these elements that uh, we see in Your Scriptures today that encourage us on as we look at the examples that You put forth in Your truth and avoid all the examples that are not godly because we know we have the end of the race, we have the rewards waiting, and we will be glorified. And that keeps us going strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Follow me is the first thing that Paul is saying here. After he has stated that, um, yeah, we can't be perfect, but we're to, we're to pursue that. And... As a result, or because of that now, here's how you do it. Follow my example. Watch me. To pursue a goal, I have to be able to see how it's done. I have to follow someone who knows the way there. So Paul's showing us the way there. The Scripture shows us the way, right? But God uses human means to do that too. And so he says, imitate me, the word here, following my example... Uh, or uh, the Greek word is sum mimetes, or mimic is how we get our uh, our English word from that. It's derived from that mimic to mimic him, to imitate him, to follow him. He, he's a flesh and blood person. Now Christ is too, and we know that he's the ultimate one to follow. That's who we are pursuing and we're following. But he gives us people who are. Sinners, people who sin, who are true believers. You say, well, that sounds kind of strange. Well, Jesus never sinned. So, um, and, and He gives us every way to follow, but we cannot do that without, of course, His Holy Spirit and His power. But when you have somebody that you can look at today, even, it helps to follow that. Um, Paul was not putting himself on some kind of pedestal. He's not putting himself way up above everybody and says, hey, look at me, look how good I am. It wasn't self-aggrandizing at all. It wasn't that he was trying to draw attention to how great he was. But he is bold enough to say, follow where I'm going. Hey, I'm going up the mountain here and uh, I know you haven't been here. Watch me and you follow this pattern. I haven't attained perfection yet and I know that I'm the chief of sinners, right? Paul says that. That's showing that, yeah, he isn't perfect, but he is a human being, but one who pursues the goal. And he wanted others to do the same thing. He wants them to be 
right there. Right after Christ pursuing Him just like He did. That's what He wanted. Don't you guys want others to do that too? You know, that's, that's the sunum bonum when we see that, oh, I want to follow Christ, but I want other people to be uh, doing that too, to have that same desire. Um, I need somebody to show me how to deal with the flesh. I need somebody to show me how to deal with my temper. I need somebody to show me how to deal with victory. I need somebody to show me how to deal with temptation when it comes along. I need a model for patience. I need a model for endurance. This is a marathon race, right? I need somebody to to follow in dealing with relationships, how to deal with people. And if I can look at somebody how they did it, a lot of us, or, or most of us really, are kind of shaped by our parents and we tend to do a lot of things that they teach us. There are a lot of good things in there that they've taught us. But there are some things in there that they didn't teach us or maybe taught us completely wrong. And some of the things that they did, we don't want to model in that sense, right? But it's good to have somebody you can watch. Well, if you have a mature model who is right there with you uh, and they know who you are, you know them, you can say, yeah... There's some things there I, I can learn from him. That's the way to go. I want to follow that. I didn't see that before in my past life, but I can I can get in there and, and do that. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. Um, a marvelous pattern. I believe that uh, Paul definitely is. Look in 1 Corinthians 4.16. It's not the first time he said this. In 1 Corinthians 4.16... He says, therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. Imitate me. Imitate me. I, I exhort you to do that. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he said it again. And he was pretty bold in saying that, but I think it's a good thing to do. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. He imitates Christ. We know Christ's ways. We know Paul's ways. If we study that and really study the, the, these personalities, you'd say, oh, that's how he dealt with that. How did he deal with persecution? Well, we can look and see how Paul did that. How did he deal with all those sufferings that went through? Well, you can look in there and see how he did it. We know how Christ did it. and But here's uh, one who's like us. He's the climber. We're following after him. I try to see how he handles these situations. And Paul responded in a way that glorified God. How am I to act when trials and sufferings come along? Well, he's the pattern. And ultimately, this is where it brings us, and I I state this, it seems like, every week lately, but 8.29, Romans Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that he would be the firstborn or preeminent among many brethren, among us, conformed to the image of Christ. Folks, that's what's happening. We're being conformed to him as we are obedient. And that's the ultimate, that's where it takes us as we follow Christ, as we follow Paul, follow Timothy, the rest of Scripture here, we follow Moses, we follow all those people of faith, and it's taking us there. Till we finally reach that goal of Christ. 
And he says, imitate others here in Philippians. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In us. Observe them. Us. Paul is not just saying just me. Now he is saying also uh, other people. And I can think of earlier in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, to uh, 19, says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Timothy's going to be sent to you. He's one you can follow also. And they do. And then later on in that chapter, he mentions another one in verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. My, he's a little bit of everything, wasn't he? A worker, a soldier, a messenger, uh, ministered. Whatever it took, that's what Epaphroditus did. He says, you want this? Here, I'll do it. Be glad to. Philippians loved that man. And uh, he was one that I'm sure that they followed too. Um, so he says, observe those. Uh, the word, you might think of the word scope in English. And uh, that's taken from a Greek word. And it really is the idea of fixing your gaze on. Fix your gaze on. Watch them. Watch them intently. Watch how they do it. Watch how they live their Christian lives. You know, be around them. Watch them and see how they respond. Boy, it's great to have flesh and blood examples, isn't it? What would happen if you didn't have anybody at all? I don't know how many people have affected my life in the Christian walk in 30 plus years. There have been just so many. And, and I watched them. I watched what they did. I watched how they studied the Word of God. I, I watched how they taught the Word of God. These were people that I saw flesh and blood that were friends that um, brought me closer in my walk with the Lord. And then, of course, there are countless others of books that I read. I follow their examples. And uh, people who live in uh, our time now and people who date back centuries ago, I follow those guys. And then we follow all the other uh, great characters that God has given us in Scripture that honor God. So, we need to be examples. Now, so that's the thing. That's the idea. All of us should be in this sense saying, hey, follow me. What, watch. Can I help you here? You know, If we can find somebody that we know that needs to be walking closer to the Lord or walking with the Lord here, if our speech can make a difference, if our conduct can make a difference, if our love for them, our faithfulness and purity, all those things lead up to an exemplary life. Wherever we're at, we can touch people with that. You're showing people the path. You're showing them how to walk that. And you may not even have to say, hey, follow me, mimic me, imitate me. They may misunderstand you. But yet what you want to do is for them to see the perfection in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want them to see the beauty in Him. We're to elevate our thoughts on Him here today, aren't we? That's, that's our thought here, to try to get a little bit higher in our, in our ways and our thoughts. Well, that's verse 17. And now he turns to a negative. Okay, you follow me, 
But you don't follow that way. Okay? A positive, then a negative. And here are things that we're all liable to do and not even knowing it. Maybe it was part of our culture that we grew up in. It was part of the family. They just did things that way and that's the way that we know how to do it. That's just the way it is. We constantly have to be breaking away from particular molds that weren't right and say, you know what, I've been thinking about that. That really wasn't that, that great, was it? That really wasn't the way to do that. Um, he says in 18, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm telling you, they are enemies of the cross. There's a lot of them. So Paul constantly had warned people that there are certain people that are going to try to take your joy away. And he's already said that to the Philippians, hasn't he? And we've covered that. Paul was concerned... Uh, even with the Philippians. And he was constantly with many others. Um, and, and he says here, it's kind of interesting, for many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. This is just like he's crying right there. He's weeping. He could have been weeping because of these enemies of the cross and they're lost. Paul had that thought, didn't he? He really um, had concern for the, well, actually, Jewish people in Romans 9, 10, 11, we see his concern for them. They were lost, and you know he was of, of their race, and he knew them well, even some of them. <laughs> and uh, he's weeping maybe for that. Uh, or he could be weeping for the terrible impact that they were making on the body of Christ. And they were being identified. And uh, that can make people weak in the church. So he has tears for that. And he said in Acts 20, I was with you day and night. Remember that? As he um, mentioned to the Ephesian elders. It's like he wept with them day and night, giving them the gospel and telling them, hey, by the way, there are going to be uh, false sheep coming in. They're going to look like sheep, but they're really not there. They're not them. You're going to be led astray by these false teachers that, that come with them, right? So, many walk from whom I've often told you. Many. Uh, It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus shows there is a false teaching and there's a true teaching. There's a true way into the kingdom. There's a false way. And in verse 21... Matthew seven twenty one very familiar with everybody. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Look at this in 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many will say to me on that day, professing Christians in the church, doing all sorts of things, but he says, it's not so much of the doing that they did, just doing things. They were doing amazing things, prophesying in His name, preaching in His name, casting out demons, performing miracles. It really looked like they were really true. But um, we are to be true doers of the Word that will honor Him and not ourselves. So, you know, these kind of guys, they don't come into the church wearing 
t-shirts and caps and they say, we hate Christ and we're against Him. And we're against the cross. You know, they don't ever say that. You ever notice that? You'll never see a cult go around saying, if, if they're kind of a Christian cult, I say they're Christians, but they're really not. They don't go around saying that. Or they don't even say, hey, we deny salvation by grace. But they say they are Christians. They say they're friends of Him. They identify with Christ, even think that. But they can be deceptive to uh, not only themselves, but others. And I think that's one reason why the church today, uh, because it's not discerning, its lack of discernment has had a lot of damaging consequences in the body of Christ as so many different uh, doctrines have come in. Well, who are these guys then? Who are these many who walk like that and not walk the way that Paul walked? Well, there could be a couple of groups here. One could be Jews, or another could be the Gentiles. We'll just take a few moments. The Jews here could be the ones who are the Judaizers. And Paul has already mentioned those guys. Matter of fact, he called them what? Dogs. <laughs> Beware of the dogs uh, of the circumcision. Now, the thing is, these Judaizers had come into the church professing Jesus Christ. They didn't deny the gospel. They didn't deny grace. But they were really saying it was insufficient. It wasn't totally sufficient. Here's what He did. Here's what you have to do. Now, grace in Christianity says here's what He has done. Now because of this, because of He who is in you, you will desire to do these things. But they have to do those things to please God. God has done His work. Now it's up to you. You had to be circumcised. You know, a physical surgery. You had to keep the Mosaic Law, all the regulations, all that goes with that. So it's, it's Christ plus the Law. And that's really um, all the other religions, whether they believe in Christ or not. It's something you do. It's, it's plus. Uh, rather than Christ alone, grace alone. Faith alone, we we accept, you know, uh, this. I mean, you know, when when we believe in his death and, and burial and resurrection, the the Jews would say that yes, we do, but that's still not enough to save you. Now that is dangerous, isn't it? So it had a lot of people confused. Paul's is so concerned about this, he calls them not only dogs, he called them evil workers. Evil workers. False circumcision. And he definitely has the Judaizers in mind here, I think, as uh, he is bringing this forth. And what they kept bringing forth was circumcision, which we said was mutilation. And he says, they're not sheep. They're dogs. They have trouble with grace alone. Anybody who has trouble with grace alone is in a terrible situation. We know that we're saved by the death and resurrection of Christ plus nothing. And so we believe in the death and resurrection. We believe that it imputes forgiveness to us and righteousness. But the Judaizers say, no, no, no. Not enough. That's great. That's good. That's what He came here for. But it's not enough. You've got to add this. Now, in the, uh, in the Roman church, they had never denied Christ. 
They wouldn't deny the deity of Christ. They wouldn't deny the cross of Christ. They wouldn't deny that He's a substitute for sin. They wouldn't deny the resurrection, would they? But would they say it's totally sufficient in itself of what He did? No, it's insufficient. Insufficient. It's not enough there if I had one of those things come back from the bank insufficient funds. <laughs> there's not enough there, right? So they're saying there's not enough there. You have to do other things. You have to earn your way in. So, you know, they'll talk about grace and they'll even use that word, but there are very definite works that have to be done to earn the favor with God. And that goes against the gospel of grace. So, uh, that theology has been around a long time, hasn't it? Right from the very first century. The man-centered gospel was right along with the God-centered gospel. It'll always be there. It's always been there until Christ comes back and makes this totally right. And glory comes. And so... He's telling them this here. These these people walk that way. Don't follow them. Uh, now, that's the one group, the Judaizers. Then there are the Gentiles who would be kind of the other way around. They wouldn't be so much law. They'd be kind of against law in a sense. Antinomian. And you're probably familiar with that term. Antinomian means that there's no law in this at all. Well, a Christian now has the law written on his hearts, on his heart. He wants to follow what Christ has to say. Love God with all your heart. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. All those things are wrapped up into that. The Gentile antinomians believed in a dualistic viewpoint. Really, if you're Greek, you would understand what would later be known as Gnosticism, which says the spiritual man is good. The physical man is really not good. There's nothing good in the physical part. So because you have a physical part to you, you have this body you can't help it anyway. It's something that you're, you're in. You have to be in it till uh, you die. So you can do whatever you want to do. You're free. You have all the liberty to, to do whatever you want. And so they took advantage of that. It's the spirit that matters. Well, yeah, it is the spiritual man that matters, but we are to beat this body down. We are to buffet this body. We are to discipline it. Paul has already mentioned that even in Philippians here. But So the, the Jews said it's the gospel plus. And the Gentile says it's the gospel minus. There's no balance there. Uh, when Jesus died, He took care of all of our sins. That sounds right, yeah. In a spiritual dimension, that's, that's happened. So it doesn't matter how we live. So they subtract what the Judaizers had added to. So you've got to watch out for those kind of people, Paul's saying. They're going to come along. These are libertines. And they will have a different view of the cross as well as the Judaizers. So we see some, I think, um, some descriptions of these people, uh, we see what's going to happen to them. Here's what they are. Whose end is destruction. 
We have the Judaizers, or which I, I tend to think that's probably what Paul is talking about, but it can definitely apply to the Gentiles. He says, okay, you don't want to follow those guys, do you? Some of that stuff we just talked about, watch out, don't follow it. Matter of fact, it's damning. Because, he says, the end is destruction. Anything beyond Christ and Christ alone is a damning belief. That's right. That's just what we said. It's, it's condemning. Anything plus, plus Christ alone. They're headed for destruction if that's what their belief is. To believe everything about Christ and yet to add something to it, to that sacrificial work, is damning. Paul says here that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their eternal destiny, found in verse 19, is what? Destruction. Destruction. That's damnation, folks. And he says, don't even play with it. Don't even mess with that. That is what has happened. Be careful. End is destruction. Then the next one is whose God is their appetite. Whose God is their appetite. The word there is a word our English word is taken from. Have you ever heard of colitis? You've heard of that? Something dealing with the stomach, right? I've heard it. Not familiar exactly what all it does. Um, I haven't felt that, but uh, if it has to do with the stomach, then to um, what the meaning of this is taking us to, it's talking about the the God. God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Their God is their appetites. Let's kind of keep taking this a little bit further. Uh, they're driven by desires. They're driven by sensual appetites, sensual desires. This would definitely be true of the Gentiles, wouldn't it? Who say, hey, listen, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I can do whatever I want. Whatever. Because my body is bad anyway. It's okay. The Jews, on the other hand, worshipped by fleshly accomplishments. Paul points that out. Early in uh, this chapter, if you remember, um, whenever he talked about all the things that he did in the flesh, uh, being a Jew and Benjamite, Hebrew of Hebrew, and persecutor of the church, and righteous uh, as far as the law is concerned, found blameless till he found out that that was definitely all wrong. Um, they're driven by desires, but the Jews desire to do these fleshly, religious rituals, all the works that they do, and they say, there, I did it. I'm okay. So they're in a, in a religious sense that uh, would, could possibly be their God, uh, their appetite, the appetite in the sense that uh, their dietary laws even. They had a whole series of dietary laws. So their God is their stomach and they prescribed all of these and what they could eat and what they couldn't. Observance of the law. That's all the things that are necessary for salvation. So, two things there. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. Whose glory is their shame. So it talks about their destiny. talks about their God. talks about their glory. Now, a Christian's glory is Christ Himself, Right? Well, their glory, what's that? Well, the very thing that they boasted about is their very shame. 
they boasted in their shame. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, here's what Paul came to realize. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Christ plus nothing, right? He says, I just dumped that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 6.12 All things are lawful for me. Everything. You're a Christian? Okay. Everything's lawful. What's that mean? But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. There's the problem. When things master us, what does that make them? Idols. The moment we have just made something, a particular liberty or things we really like to do, that can cause all sorts of stumbling blocks in the church. We now really have an idol. We have our own little secret idol, something that we like to do and we justify it. And he says here, hey, not all things are profitable, right? So we don't have to be bound by those dietary laws and you just keep going on with the uh, the kind of laws that maybe the Jews have made and especially the ones that they made up. Those extra 613 rules and laws. And uh, they boasted in that. Paul boasted in it. And that's their shame. Because he saw that that was absolutely worthless. What did he say it was? It's trash. It's rubbish. It's garbage. So their end is destruction. So there's a spiritual thing. What happens to them at the end? They get Here's what shows where they're heading for. Um, shows who their God really is. It's not really God. It's not really Jesus Christ. It's for their own stomach, their sensual desires, whatever it is that they want. Glory. They don't have the glory of Christ and they will not have glory in the future. And one other thing that they do, by the way, says they set their minds on earthly things. Earthly things. They set their minds on earthly Worldly things. That's what they're after. Be careful because those people can look like they're true believers, but look at the things where they're focusing upon. Are they focusing on Christ and all of His things and eternal things? Or ceremonies and feasts and festivals and sacrifices and new boons and everything that's physical, all of those things, if you're a Jew, all or if you're religious, in the case of the Judaizers, those ceremonies and such, that was that was nothing more than an earthly symbol. That was an earthly thing. You know what? To the Gentile, they'd be pursuing Houses, and of course, you bring it to modern time cars and money and bank accounts and trips, self aggrandizement and wardrobes and accumulating stuff, 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 stuff. So, if you're going to pursue the goal, you've got to follow the right example. Don't follow the people who are out there in the world who offer all of these things because that can take your eye off the race. I'm not saying you can't have things, but don't let them, as we read earlier, have you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Once they have you, they're what? They're, now you're idle. So we don't want them to have us. In 1 John 2.15, we always have to be reminded of this kind of thing. 
Say, Dennis, you talk about this so much. You run into it so much. We have to be reminded of it because we, we encounter it every day. We really do. And I say we. You betcha. We battle this. This is one of the enemies. What is it? The world. So when he says the enemies of the cross, not only people, but Satan and the world, right? Our own flesh. It says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. For all that is in the world, what's that? This covers it all. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says, here's what's going to happen to it. It's passing away. Also, it's lust. It's going to disintegrate. It's going to burn up. It's going to be it. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So eternal life. The golden crown totally surpasses all of these little things here, doesn't it? Would you be ready to, to go with Him just at this moment? Or are there things you're pursuing that you say, well, give me a, give me a few more years. <laughs> not, not even a thought. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> we know what's offered. And that's what He goes into next as we move into verse 20. This is what motivates us. This is what kicks it into gear. This is why we do these things that we do. We give up all those worldly things. We don't give them all up. We, we use a lot of them. Man, we use a lot. And it's okay. It's lawful, as it says. But we're concerned to see the Savior. That's where it's all headed. We want to hear this. Well done. Right? Well done. That's what we want to hear from the Savior. We're concerned about eternal glory. So he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So it just talked about set their mind on earthly things. That's what these people do. He says, don't follow that. But the ones who are following Paul, Timothy, Paphroditus, Jesus, Their citizenship is in heaven. They really have the motive of this. And so they have eternal things that they're involved with. The citizenship, I think it's really fascinating. Um, It's like living as foreigners in another land, another country, you live away from your capital, your capital city. We happen to live in a capital city. And, or thereabouts, we might live in surrounding areas. But, you know, we're kind of considered to be citizens of this state, you know, this area. Um, this idea here, we are citizens, is dealing with a colony of foreigners. They, they get together. It's used as a secular kind of terminology to speak about a capital city. And what they did is they kept the names of the citizens on a register. So the names of that that came from that capital city were on that register. They were in the books. We are registered citizens of heaven. Have you thought about that? Now that's a motivation. Yeah, we have dual citizenship. Yeah, we're citizens of where we live here, citizens of this country. 
But we know we have something far greater. Our citizenship really is in heaven. We're representing the ambassador. So here we are, a bunch of foreigners living really in a different area. At the same time, our names are put on the register in heaven, in our capital city, (laughs) the New Jerusalem. You know, we're from there. Even though we haven't been there physically, we still are from there. That's, that's our home. Uh, our Father is there. The Savior is there. Fellow saints who have gone on are there. Our inheritance is there. What do you think of that? The eternal inheritance. So the Philippians, take it back to that, Philippians are actually citizens of the capital city, Rome. As he writes, our citizenship is in heaven. They, they took pride in being citizens of Rome. That's a great empire. The city of the world. And they happen to be citizens even though they live far away from Rome. They were a colony, but they're Roman citizens even though they don't live there. So they understand. I think Paul, as he uses this terminology, they understand what Paul is saying, that they're living somewhere other than where their citizenship is at, but they're really citizens of Rome. They're in the colony of Philippi. We are citizens of heaven. We just happen to live here in the earth at this time for a little while. Now that is pretty cool. Do you like that? You know, we know that. But it sure is good to be reminded that, hey, that's my home. That's where I want to put everything at. That's what I want to be investing in, that it would be pointing to my Savior. That's where He's at. That's where I'm headed. If I have that kind of motivation, it's a lot better to live this Christian life, isn't it? Now, the, the next one. So that countered the earthly things, didn't it? We have heavenly things. By the way, look in First Peter one four. I talked about that inheritance. It's just good to read that for a moment. Right there in his very first part of his letter, Peter says this after he gives blessings to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ dealing with the mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Boy, he gets a lot in that verse, doesn't he? Verse 4, he says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's got your name on it. It's there. It'll never fade away. You know, you get something new, and you ever notice within the next week, two weeks, month, couple of months, year, things just kind of, the glory starts kind of fading away, doesn't it? Doesn't have that new quality. Well, eternal life is always new has that kind of thing that will never fade away. Look in Luke 10.20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But look at this. 
rejoice that your names, look at this, are recorded in heaven. Rejoice for the fact that your name is in heaven. You are on the register. You're there. And that name will never be blotted out. Nice, huh? John 14, 2 and 3 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Believe it. That's where we belong. That's what we're shooting for. Okay, next. We're boiling this down now. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's our destiny. What are we really about? To be like Christ. We wait to see Him. And not only that, to see Him as He is. Look back in Philippians 1.23. It says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for this is very much better. Oh, I really want to be with Him. Oh, to love Him so much. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's where we belong. That's where we belong. Our destiny. So, what He's telling us here, the Lord's in heaven and He's coming back. If I know Jesus is coming, then I'm motivated. And He's given us a lot about Him coming back. I want to be ready when He comes. I want to be faithful. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about um, He's going to even look at our, our work. And there's going to be rewards that are given for what we have done in Christ for His glory. We'll be tested by fire and you get that eternal reward. So, you have a positive motivation and you have what could be, uh, on the other hand, a, a negative uh, motivation. It's an accountability point uh, that I'm going to face the Lord and we really desire, we should be eagerly awaiting Him, shouldn't we? 